0: Let's go! All right, everybody. Welcome to the 305th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the two-time summer league champion Portland Trailblazers. I am Dustin here in Rip City,
1: and I got my man Sage kicking it live and direct. Um ready to talk about this uh this team. It's been a minute since we've recorded, but you know, them winning their second summer league championship there's a reason to talk about this team. So I'm, I'm ready.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we, we did the free agency episode and I think we expected a little bit more to happen, but those ended up being the moves and kind of like the next progression of the summer, you know, you have draft free agency and then you get to see your draft picks and second year players participate in basically a 10 day uh, tournament in, in Las Vegas. And it kind of got off to a pretty rocky start for the Blazers uh, playing against the, the Pistons, who featured Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. And Portland loses their star lottery pick. Shaden Sharp has a, has a small labrum tear in his shoulder and is about to be reevaluated here. Anytime between today and Wednesday, we'll get to know more what the, the treatment will look like, if he'll need surgery. But it was a pretty uh, care. No, harmless play is what I'm trying to say It was pretty harmless. And all of a sudden you see him, you know, he has a very nice move on the baseline fadeaway jumper. You're like, okay, the first, first of three buckets that, that go down and guarding Ivy. And all of a sudden you see him drop the shoulder and you're like, Oh shit. Like what, what could it be like? You're a blazer fan. So you're automatically going to the worst possible place because that's just what happens to this franchise. And it's, this franchise has had some really weird, weird history with, with shoulders. Nicholas Batum was really, uh, lingered and hampered by, by shoulder injuries, uh, throughout the later portion of his trailblazer career. Obviously we all know what happened to Zach Collins. He just could not get that shoulder, right. Uh, even stars and other teams like, uh, Oklahoma city's, uh, Paul George had, had that labor tear that just took forever for him to heal. So it's, it's no joke, you know, thankfully it is on his left shoulder, not on his right but still it is a setback for a player that I think not just Blazer fans were looking to see play, but really the rest of the, the league in the, in the NBA community, because this was the, the drafts man of mystery hadn't played since his EYBL uh, days last summer for, for Canada. And there's still a lot of
1: mystery, you know, intrigue. What, what, what do you think it? his role was going to be on this team? Cause it felt like in those six minutes of play, he had the ultimate green light to just shoot. Because let, let's be real, one of the major issues I had with this team is the lack of shooting. Thank goodness for Jabari and his very consistent hitting from three. But really, when you look at this team, there wasn't the shooter. So it's kind of like when I watched those minutes, it was like Shaden just green-lighted, shot everything. Do you think that was going to be the role for Shaden Sharp if he actually played more than one rotation? Yeah,
0: I definitely think he was going to be, you know, one of the top options for, for the summer Blazers, right. You know, you had Brandon Williams who was going to run the show at the point they were definitely going to get Trenton Watford involved uh, down low. He and Greg Brown before Greg Brown got, got sick uh, were, were featured players. I think he's definitely one of the three featured Blazers that you were going to have, you know, right alongside Keon Johnson, going to get the lion's share of minutes, probably you're right. Have a green light, but also play within the offense. And I think that's, really what the turning point for the Blazers were was they started to kind of trust one another. And you don't really get that too often in summer league. You tend to see these journeyman G league caliber players. If that come and try to just show out and show off and, you know, pound the rock into oblivion, it just take these crazy jump shots and it just gets really discombobulated. We've seen that in summer league past uh, for even trailblazer teams, but, uh, this team really played within themselves, shared the basketball. There didn't seem to be a big uh, ego. And I think that's eventually what Shaden's role would have been. Like, if we're looking at it from, you know, some of these close games that they had or even these comebacks, I think he would have been a big part in that. But I don't, I think it kind of would have been what we saw. Like, we saw Keon Johnson had like two 20 plus point performances. Uh, Watford was absolutely brilliant in the final. Like it seemed like each game, you had the same cast of characters helping out. Jabari Walker was just consistently solid, but Shaden probably would have had one or two really breakout performances. But then somebody else, like a Keon or a Brandon, would have had another solid game. Like that's probably why they won the summer league championship is because they weren't just, you know, going out there and there was just one guy that was going to get buck. If you look at the Knicks, Quentin Grimes was supposedly, you know, God Squad. Except when he played the Blazers, there was just nobody else on the roster that could make it happen. They they really focused on Quentin Grimes, and he had the ultimate green light. But Portland really did a nice job defensively both games, keying in on him and saying if you're going to shoot, it's going to be a tough shot. We're gonna we're gonna bank that your teammates aren't going to hit those open shots. And you know that's really good NBA defensive strategy. If you get beat by role players you tip your hat and you move on,
1: but you never want to get beat by the the star player. So I think the biggest thing for me when watching this team was the zone defense, we went into that zone and it just, I feel like with man defense and, you know, spreading out the offense, when you go into a zone, it makes players think. And I think that's where lasers built that lead was no no points from the opposing team because they couldn't figure out the two three zone and then they consistently put two points on the board two points on the board so it was just like that bully ball mentality mixed with the zone that confused everybody like outside of Jaden ivy who 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 was good enough as a point guard to handle a two three zone like cooper from atlanta ain't wasn't on our list so like the 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 dribbling ability and the creativity of opposing point guards was so low. And I I hate saying that because I love Deuce McBride on the defensive end, but the fact that we went into that two, three and just dominated the possessions in the two, three. And like, look what the Knicks did today. They had one big. So if he went to contest, it was just Blazers bigs on the, on the uh, rebounds, just getting it and controlling possessions. So I, I think as well as all of the players played in their roles, that two, three zone, especially in the like two through four games, when there was just no point guard to be found having that zone, that secondary defensive action, because you know, they can play man and be fine, but that switching it from man to zone, I think was a huge, huge thing for the Blazers and their, their victories.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's, let's make no, no mistake about it. Right. The, the Blazers on offense at times was a bit of a grind and whoever,
1: whoever mic'd those rims did a humongous disservice to my eardrums because it was not, it was like minutes of hard hard misses like these were 808 drum breaks bro it was it was really distracting especially since I had this back problem the last week so it was just like me trying to zone out and just watch the game and then I just hear like <laughs> a Kanye West drum beat. And it's just like, God damn. So yeah, the Blazers offense was at times very, very rough, but I, I, th- I really believe in that two, three really solved a lot of the problems with their, with, with their offense. Um, Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like, like I was saying, like there, no doubt about it. The Blazers were able to go four and one in Las Vegas on the strength of that defensive team oriented basketball. It wasn't just one person playing lockdown defense. It was, I was, to be honest, I was so impressed with the amount of communication and dedication that these young players displayed in what some people may describe as meaningless basketball, but for them, it wasn't. And they took the challenge and they played with a lot of effort and intensity. And there were a couple of plays where they just knew what they were. They had a lot of trust in their teammates, like Jabari Walker against the Knicks. Had a play in the second half. He had Quentin Grimes on an island. He just kind of allows him to go where he wants. He funnels Grimes where he wants to go left. And Jabari is smart enough and trustworthy enough. He's like, my teammate's going to pick him up. He helps side recovers and then blocks a Knicks player at the rim. So that level of defense, even at the summer league level, is something the Blazers haven't had probably since the LaMarcus and Wesley Matthews era roster. Like It's, it just, been, a it, while. it's been a long time since I've seen a Blazer team play high-caliber defense, uh, and we were winning on, on the backs of, of our defense. Like I'm trying to find the summer league stats, and they're very difficult to track down. But ESPN put up a graphic that the Knicks were scoring over 100 points per game God, they had 46 points through three quarters. Portland ended up winning 85-77. Uh, they put the clamps down on the Knicks the first time they played them. I don't think any team broke 90 points against the Summer Blazers. It might have even been even been like 80 or 85. Like they were that good defensively. And like you said, it it wasn't just one person. It wasn't just a zone. It wasn't just a man. It was, I was impressed by the coaching staff implementing multiple strategies and schemes. I mean, you could you could really tell that. Especially in the championship game, the Knicks could—they they made a bit of a flurry, but the defense was always so there. The spacing
1: was just Not awful for them. Like the, they made the game dirty for every team that they played. It a lot of when you watch the, the the NBA now, it's a lot of freedom of movement, and I think the Blazers shut down freedom of movement for the best players. Like um, the only person I really think had if he was healthy that entire game was dyson daniels i think could break that that the blazers defense but when you're talking about guys that are going to be fighting for rotation spots if they're lucky like I, the blazers just made it so dirty and so tough for opposing guards to do what they want to do I think that the they, it should be commended of how the the help the help side and you know like all the effort that was used in that game because six games in a row I feel like we played some of our best defense and it it, was, it wasn't even our best possible players it was guys that are going to be lucky to be rotation guys.
0: And I, I found I found the scores. Only one team scored over eighty. It was the Pistons who put up eighty-one. The Blazers allowed an average of seventy-six points per game. And this is, you know, it's not 48 minutes of basketball, it is 40, but it was still high level defensive minded hoop. And uh, it was always, you know, they, the Blazers really kind of got into that funk in that that first game. You know, Keon kind of put on a little bit of a show and it's like, OK, there still might be reason to watch after Shaden got hurt. But then it took them a while against New Orleans and it took them a while against Houston and against the Knicks. The Knicks went up 13-0 in, in that first matchup and they always made that run. And it was that bench unit and it was really led by Jabari Walker. It just seemed like whenever he was on the floor, good things were going to happen. And I have his his full um, Summer League stats right in front of me, which I will um, read them off courtesy of Casey Holdall and um, Jabari finished summer league averaging uh, 12.4 points on 63% shooting from the field, 43% from deep 80 from the line, 9.8 rebounds, one and a half assists, one block, one steal, and just 22 minutes per game. And I tweeted out, there is no statistical category for just always being around the ball at the right place at the right time. But if there was Jabari would be a league leader. The dude is an absolute magnet just so many times I'm like, oh, the Blazers got an offensive rebound. Oh, of course it was Jabari Walker. Like he just knows where to be. He embraces his role. His father was a role player. He's like, I'm not going to come in. I'm not going to try to do things outside of my skill set. I'm going to hit open threes. I'm going to make the right pass. I'm going to rebound my ass off and I'm going to defend at a pretty good level. Like this is a really good sign for the Blazers that they're able to get you know, a second round steal Like we've been preaching this every draft year that we talk about keep second round picks that they, they, they hit, you just have to find them. You have to find your role players. And I just thought that he was the ultimate, like glue guy X factor that when you put him on the floor with maybe your more talented guys, everything seemed to flow. And he just, he, he just has that, that winning persona that I think a great team needs to have. Like you need great high-level winning role players. And I think Jabari Walker can evolve into that once he transitions from college to the summer league to the professionals uh, this fall.
1: I mean, the the basketball IQ of Jabari Walker was just, like you said, he was in the right position. And and I think that being in the right position is a skill that a lot of people don't, you know, value as highly as they should because he was in that right position And he just had this level of calmness about his game where he wasn't going to take bad shots. He wasn't going to have negative plays back to back to back. He was one of the guys that just calmed, calmed it down. And you know, that second unit, I mean, we're all Blazers fans here. A lot of the times the second unit on our teams would give up points, would give up a lead, but with Jabari and the rest of that backup unit. We would extend leads, so he he did a very very good job. I mean, he was definitely the one player that I thought was effective and efficient every every minute that he was on the floor. There's guys He's like. Very- Keith. Well, so I was
0: gonna say he very rarely made that that rookie mistake. He did
1: it once in
0: the in the finale where he was dribbling the ball up the floor. And I'm like, okay, you know, keep dribbling or find an outlet, and he got yeah, scared at half court and he kind of turned and he ended up throwing it out of bounds. But oh, I
1: remember that play. Yeah.
0: For the most part, one bad
1: turnover. And yeah, he's games.
0: making he's Great making the, the right reads, the right plays, and he's filling out the stat sheet. He plays 27 minutes in the finale, he'll get you 14 points, 50 from the field. from three hits all of his free throws. He pulled down 11 rebounds, including four on the offensive end. You know, here's what I love though. Two assists, three steals, two blocks.
1: Yeah. He's he's still a
0: fantastic man. A little bit of everything. Like if his jump shots not falling, he's still helping on the class. Like if, if he's maybe, you know, not able to get, get open he's doing it on the defensive end. He's stealing the ball or he's passing the ball. Like he's getting to the line. Like he just knows how to impact. I love his motor. You can tell he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He was interviewed by ESPN after the game. And he's already talking about like, yeah, there were 57 other players taken after me. I remember that. Like I'm that's some Draymond green type of shit right there. Like Draymond can list off every player taken ahead of him in that 2012 NBA draft. Like that's to succeed as an undrafted or late second round pick you have to play with just an extra edge to your game and just little things like that motivators that that are going to help you probably outperform players that have maybe more physical god
1: gift god given talent than you do i mean yeah like he 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 has been he he knows his body i think that there is a hitch in his in his game but he's smart enough and knows himself enough to really work past some of the flaws in his game. So I, I, I think he, he was absolutely my favorite player, but what do you, I noticed
0: one second. Where do you think he projects at the next level? Is he a three? Is he a four
1: or can you do both? I think that he can comfortably play the three, but I think that he is a natural four, if that makes sense. I, I think in a pinch, he can play the three, but if we're playing some super athletic dude, he's going to get exposed because there, I mean, his movement, he, he's not going to be the most fluid guy. So I think that he's going to be more of a four that can move down and can move up in a pinch. But I mean, if you're trying to put him in the right place to be effective, I think he's mostly a four, but what, what do you, I, th- I, I agree. I just wanted your thoughts on that before. We what do you on? think about a shot? Cause I, I think that when he missed, the hitch was more pronounced than when he had enough time. So do you think that there's a way to make his shot more efficient? So instead of grabbing the ball, and I, I feel like he basemored it where he put his hand on top of the ball and that created a hitch. Do you think that that is a fixable thing for him to, if, if, if his shots a one second, or uh, like a a two-step shot, can he turn that into a one-step shot and uh, make it as efficiently as he did with, with that two-motion jumper?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's still a super young player. It's not like he's a four, four-year four college player, you know, somewhat polished, and this is who he is. I think he still has a lot of development left, and I think there's ways he can become even more athletic, a little bit more quick, so he can play that three in a little bit more areas uh, of the game. But, yeah, I think he's a four- I think he's going to do his the, the bulk of his, his work as a garbage man down low and you know hitting that that corner three or that spot up three if a defense is sagging off of him. And if he proves one, the good thing is you're not going to run offense through him. And if he's gonna if he's gonna be getting an open shot, it's because you have a guard that is having a, a gravitational pull on the defense and you're gonna give him enough time to hit that jump shot. Where I wanna see him. Uh, improve is maybe just a little bit more confidence. Like there were some times where I'm like, he thought about just a, a little yeah,
1: bit that, too long. Just like that half second of thinking. Yeah,
0: I just, I want him to catch, shoot, go. And he's going to get a quicker release. I mean, I think every player in the league has a pretty quick release. Like I don't think he can survive in the NBA unless you're you're getting it off at a reasonable pace. So um, I expect him to just be in the gym probably already, <laughs> to be honest. And he's probably looking at film and saying, you know, dad, what, what could I do better? Uh, where can I, you know, what are my areas of improvement? And he's probably already in the lab. So if, if there's one player, uh, that you can probably expect to improve from now till the start of training camp, I I think he's, he's at the top of that list. And so, you know, the coaches watched all the games they were in attendance, they can see, okay, here's where you do need to, uh, quicken up that shot. Like you do have a bit of a hitch. Let's, let's get it, uh, corrected, but you know, what he's got going right now, it seems to be uh, working for him quite nicely.
1: So you want to talk about your boy, Guillaume? I think that game one, he was kind of thrust into the position of, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It I've, I've always been negative on his shot because I don't think that his mechanically, it's always the same. If you watched him when he was shooting and he missed, his leg his i think it was his right leg splayed out like so i think once mecha- if he can get mechanically where it's the same shot every time i kind of believe in the shot as like a you know wide open shooter i don't i don't know if he'll ever be able to deal with pressure even though he did a little bit but you know like it, it, it it's the guy from Overtime Elite. Like I don't know how good of a defender he is. So it's, I was I was very very happy with his shooting. I think that his playmaking, like he's always had that skill set of being able to get into the teeth of the defense and making that decision. Sometimes the decision is just plain wrong, but a lot of the times he got it to the right spot. So. With Keon as a playmaker, it's kind of like a golf game. If he can have more positive plays than negative plays, I think that it's a really good rotation for him. But I, I know that he, uh, that he had a lot of bad playmaking reps in like uh, two through four, but he was thrust into a position where I don't think that was the ultimate goal when summer league started. So I think that he did a really good job overall at, as a secondary playmaker and I, I felt more confident that he can get to his spots than Brandon Williams or any of the other guards on that team. So I, I think that this this created a, a ceiling for Keon Johnson that I did not think was available to him because of his lack of shooting in Tennessee and I, I guess with the clippers, but really it was the Tennessee tape that made me think nah. I mean, I think that he he's always going to have the Russell Westbrook shot in him, where it's just completely like wild. But he reined it in to make some really positive shooting improvements. So I re- I really believe that the Gary Payton Jr. type of ceiling is available and attainable for Keon Johnson. So th- this summer league really impressed me from what he was able to do. What did you think about Keon?
0: Yeah. I think if you have reasonable expectations, you have to be really happy with what you saw from Keon Johnson, right? Like let, let's go back to where he he kind of came from in the NBA 21st pick to the Los Angeles Clippers, very raw prospect out of Tennessee, like extremely raw. You see the athleticism, you see the quickness, you see the leaping ability, but there's a lot of basketball skills that needed to be put together before you had yourself an NBA player. And you started to see a little bit once he got that time with the trailblazers. But again, we've discussed this. It's, it's hard because the team wasn't competing for anything. It was kind of just, okay, go out there and show us what you can do. But, you know, you're probably not going to be playing with half of these guys anymore. And it's kind of just like a glorified, you know, AAU type of matchup to, to be honest. And then, Coming to summer league, you're, you're really starting to play with the, the rotational guys that you'll you'll see um, in the fall, the, the Trendins, the Greggs, the Shadens, you know, Brandon Williams, he's, he's going to play with them uh, next year. And I thought that he has a lot of work to do, but you're seeing the progress. So you talked about that first game when Shaden got hurt. He led the team with 21 points, 8 of 17 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3. Like, I'll take 2 of 6 from 3. 33% is not bad. At all with what we're talking about in terms of the
1: foundation and where he started, and I'm sure but, that it wasn't easy standstill threes because he had the ball in his hands. So it no, might
0: he, he was he was operating, you know, for sure with the full spect spectra of the Detroit Pistons. You know, it, yeah. They,
1: remember when we talked about Ryan Rollins as a three point shooter? It's because he was taking more difficult threes. Like if if not Shaden, but if Keon was shooting wide open off the corner, I'm sure he would have made another.
0: <laughs> the game that I really loved Keon Johnson was against the Houston Rockets. It was a back and forth affair that Portland didn't really pull away until late in that fourth quarter. But I thought it was his best overall performance. And the reason I think you can really you know, point to that tape and say, okay, I believe in this kid. You're looking at 25 points on just 13 shot attempts. Four of eight from downtown gets to the line six times, converts on five of them, and then he pulls down four rebounds. Where I th- want to address Keon is I don't think he is a point guard at all. I think he's in a point guard's body, which may hurt him, but right now, the turnovers were problematic if I'm projecting him to play point guard at the next level or be a primary ball handler. In those two games that we highlighted, he had 10 combined turnovers. And a lot of it was just simple dribble right into traffic, couldn't split the defense, didn't have a counter move. And it was just like, okay, this isn't working. How can we get you the ball? So when you talked about Gary Payton Jr. as a comp, I, you know, was yes, absolutely. That's a key. He has more
1: playmaking uh, abilities in GP. Cause I, I do, I think that he has a bigger bag. It might not be, it, it's goddamn. I'm going to mention him a lot, I guess, but he doesn't have a Ryan Rollins bag. But I, I think that out of all of the, our playmakers, he had the biggest bag, which might be damning him with some faint phrase, but he yes, did. Have- I
0: think so because you know, <laughs> we're talking about summer league defenders were able, I mean, it, it wasn't just like he made a great move and then he got it stripped. Like he was just literally getting it picked immediately. As soon as he went into the teeth of that defense, so when I'm talking about Gary Payton, I'm talking about like, I think he's going to impact the game. I think he's going to be able to hit an open jumper. I, I think he is going to be able to cut and slash and finish around the rim that we saw that against the Knicks in the finale where he got the ball in the paint, turned it around and just flushed it right over Jericho Sims, just with ease. Like that's, I see, and he's a, an elite, elite defender on the perimeter. Like he was putting the clamps down on so many players, like that's where he's going to be valuable. I almost think of it almost like a Gary Payton, Marcus smart type of player. Like you don't really want those players handling the ball a lot, but they might be able to in a pinch, but they're going to hit their open shots. They're going to cut and they're going to make their impact on the other end of the the floor. And I don't want Portland to just throw Keon Johnson into a trade or just to kind of let him go away into oblivion because it's going to be very difficult for him to get minutes at the next level. Given what Portland did this off season with, you know, Dame, Anthony, Josh, Shaden, Gary, like there's players ahead of him on the depth chart. Sure. He may get minutes here or there. If they're giving Dame a night off or, you know, God forbid somebody gets an illness, but for the most part, he's going to be riding the pine for a bit. Maybe stints in the G league, but if Portland is smart and treats Keon like a part of their farm system, they have Gary Payton signed for two years plus a player option. Keep Keon in your system, keep developing him so you don't have to pay Gary Payton the second buku bucks in, in two years if he opts out. Like you have your you have your, your next prospect coming up in the system and he'll still be on a, a cost control deal. Maybe you get a you know team friendly extension. Who knows? But I see people, you know, I'll just throw him in a trade. No, keep him because he can, you know, learn under a lot of great guards. If if there's one thing Portland prides itself on, it's great guard play. And whether Keon plays the one or the two, he's got a a ways to go before I think he's a rotational player. But if you kept your expectations reasonable, you have to be excited with what he was able to go bring and show from basically – tennessee last year to now in the M- nba summer league this year
1: so do you give him on ball reps if he let's say he goes to the g league i really think that we need a g league team but yes the summer league showed me the g league team this is basically the g league version of the blazers like we. so do you give keon on ball reps in the g league i think he has to
0: prove it first right like I always bring up the Jeff Pendergraf example when he was in summer league and they were just post him up time and time again. Let's see what you got, Jeff. Let's see what you got. You could tell after the third post up, like just way in over his head and they, they should have moved on to something else and should have just said, okay, Jeff Pendergraph, you're just, you know, kind of a garbage man energy type of guy. Like we're not, we can't run offense through you. So you can start out giving key on ball reps, but if he continues to get it picked, like, I think you have to just, I think you have to pivot before you absolutely ruin a player's confidence. Like you can't just say, "Oh no, go out and do it, do it, do it until you, you've mastered it." That's not how the human brain operates, right? If, if you see yourself failing time and time again, self doubt starts to creep in, and then other parts of your game start to slip off, and before you know it, you're in this hole and you can't dig yourself out of it. So I give him a chance to show to show me as the coach that okay, you got, you're 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 worthy of getting these on-ball reps. You know, these these are precious. Yeah, you know, they're extremely just, precious. So it, it really is dependent upon what Keon can work on and then translate into um, the game. Now, if in practice he's showing skills on-ball and it's not translating to the game, I think that's a different story. But if you're seeing the same story in practice as the game, that's where you may just be like, you may need to report back up and say, okay, this player probably should be molded like this rather than maybe a traditional uh, primary ball handler.
1: You know, like when, when I think of Keon and his ceiling, I think there has to be some on ball creation and he has to be able to hit the three. If he can do those two things, which for Keon, I mean, if you watch that Tennessee tape, you don't think that he can hit threes. So even for me to say that, I think there's a chance that he can has shown a pretty big improvement. Um, But if he's trying if he's trying to take gary payton's spot in 2 years i think he has to have like tertiary or if he can be a secondary playmaker that's great but like if he can run a second side pick and roll off of like a rebound i think that increases his ceiling quite a bit but i think i mean like he he was really impressive and if you take away like I, you know there's the there's a thing that people say in the, like the scouting community about, like, just think about when he has NBA spacing, Keon Johnson's never had NBA spacing. This, this team that he's playing with currently doesn't provide that. So is there a world where if he's running a second side pick and roll and Anthony's on the floor or Dame is even off ball, doesn't that create more spacing for him to use that dribble package? Like, I, I think if he had NBA spacing, he could be a, a decent ball handler. Obviously, there's some issues, but I mean, look what we've been using as our point guard for the last few few months, man. I think that he could hey, he has a potential of second side playmaking. Which, fuck, man, that's that's a lot of value. I think we just have to treat it like a, a valuable asset, not like it's a lo- a late first round pick.
0: But I mean, that's I, what we there's do, that's that's that what we do when you take flyers on players like Keon. Yeah. You have to be willing to invest and play the long game because it, it's, you know, it's a long-term project for a reason. Um, and there's
1: a good chance he fails, but he you happens. know what? We took a chance and that's better than riding the fence and not taking that chance on a player. Like, If Keon Johnson hits, he's a late first-round pick. That's going to be value for a long time. He's going to have a lower cap than Anthony Simons when he he hit. So if you can hit on that late first, you know, late second in Jabari, that's going to make team building a lot easier. And look what our our starting five is. It's expensive. Having a guy like Keon and uh, Jabari is hugely important.
0: So I think the summer, obviously it's fun to win a championship, but I think what Portland accomplished in terms of who was performing well, I think is a good sign for the upcoming season. Clearly Portland has guards. They've got guards for days. The bigs are where the question marks lie ahead in Rip City for the upcoming season. And you're really banking on big seasons from Yusuf Nurkic and Jeremy Grant. But aside from those two marks that that lie ahead in Rip City, in terms of the, the big man rotation, who who's the insurance? Who's going to play if Nurk gets hurt or Jeremy Grant gets into foul trouble, or or vice versa? Like what what's going to happen? Like right now, the, the bigs are Drew Eubanks, Jabari Walker. And Trenton Watford, you know, we we've discussed Jabari and his impact, but Trendon Watford, I thought really showed me a lot this, this, this summer, especially from where he started to where he finished, uh, was the summer league MVP for the championship game. Uh, when New York made their run, Watford came in, the announcer said he made like four straight plays for the Blazers, uh, 19 points. 7 of 15 shooting, 3 of 6 from downtown, which is really impressive for a player of his size. 7 boards, 3 steals, uh, 2 assists, 1 block. And the number I love the most, just 3 turnovers because early on in Summer League, he was playing out of his skill set. He was doing the Keon Johnson drive. He was doing the Jeff Pendergraft post-up where he would get the ball and he would just dribble into traffic with, with really no idea of what he wanted to do um i know we all get enamored with bigs handling the basketball and thinking of what could be but i thought when he reeled himself in He's and
1: slowed dribble package man
0: yeah and, and when he slowed down he was like oh i've seen uh, jericho sims is on me okay come out to the perimeter spread the floor i'm gonna go right by you i'm gonna lay it up and in. when he calmed down and let the game come to him he was the best player on the floor like i think for his he has, you're right. He has tremendous feel for the game, but we started to see the execution come from that feel because early on in summer league, it was great execution. And then like, or great feel, but then the execution was like, Oh, what were you thinking there? Like, you know, you've got this fast break and then you just drive into the teeth of the defense. And he was just turning the ball over constantly, but something's a light switched for, for And I really loved how he and Jabari played alongside of each other you know, I think we're going to see. We're going to have to see a lot of both of those guys this year, just because I don't think you can rely on Justice Winslow playing that much power forward. Uh, you need bigs. Like you're, you're going to get foul trouble. There's going to be COVID. There's 82 games. There's injuries. There's nicks. There's bruises. Like we're, we're going to see something. So for an undrafted player who got time last year with, with the with the Blazers. To come out, win the the MVP of the, of the summer league championship game. Had a had a overall a really solid game, uh, summer, summer league. Excuse me. I think he's going to take that confidence. And Portland didn't have a lot of tools uh, once they once they signed their players. Um, uh, their their you know Amferny and Yusuf, and they they used their mid level on GP. Like they, they they went out. They got Jeremy Grant. They didn't have a bunch of other tools to say okay, now we need to back up five. Now we need back up. Like they only had so many. They didn't prioritize the backup bigs. If this is what you're going to go with, at least you feel good in how they performed. Like I'd rather they performed well, which they did, and hope that you're going to get some internal development than putting on kind of a stinker and just being like, oh shit, we're really screwed next year. So I was quite impressed with Trendon. Um, He had a really nice two-man game with Brandon Williams, especially in that first half finishes around the rim nice touch from deep um selfless can I talk player. about the touch from deep he What's only that?
1: Made, with his three point shooting they they baited him to shoot those he made it which is yeah, if you, huge if you hit 50% i'll take it yeah but that that's not going to happen if he actually starts shooting like don't I, I
0: want him to to just shoot them like if you're if you have the ball in your hands and they're backing up. There's one, there's only one way that you can make a defense respect you is shoot the ball
1: and make it. So um, you know, I I, I, I think that the shooting, like it it was impressive that he was able to make it with how bad his touch was last year. But I, I mean I'm not I'm not fooled. The second that they closed out on him, he airballed it. So I think that the situation has to be perfect for him to feel comfortable to shoot and that doesn't happen in regular season games. Um, obviously that I've I've been a lesser uh trend and Watford guy. I think that he he's been, he was a wild boy for most of the games. But when he actually realized that this is an important game, he went he shrunk back to what he can do, not what he wants to do. He shot so much more than any other person last year. Like he he took his usage rate and it was his. So I would love to see what he looks like when he's actually phased down in an offense, because he isn't going to touch the ball like that if Damian Lillard's on the court. So there's still a lot of question marks to his game. But if he can, if he can hit the wide open jumper where people just challenge him, that's great. Um, he showed some on ball reps where if he saw the blatant miss, like if Brook Lopez is on him on an ISO, he's going to blow by him. This, this last game was really impressive because I think that outside of the shooting, I think a lot of it was efficient and repeatable for him. But I, it, it terrifies me if he's going to be our lead, if he's going to be our center, if Yusuf gets hurt or COVID or something like that happens. It terrifies me because I don't think he's a good defender. I don't think he's going to get the rebounds that Yusuf can but I think that it's great that he was able to produce in this in this uh, arena. But it terrifies me if 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 we have to put him at the five because I don't think that he could be the uh, I don't think he can play four in a real NBA offense because I don't I, I like the, the the spacing is just going to be so like I think that an interesting thing is going to be is Yusuf plus. Trend in Watford minutes. I if it's if it's a lot, I think we lose. I think we we have a bad year. But if it's very little to nothing, I think that we had a successful year in terms of injuries because I I don't think that those two can play on the same court together. No, I think they're both centers. But it I think isn't trending like six eight six nine. It's it's modern basketball, baby.
0: <laughs> it's modern basketball, baby. You've only. All got- right. But, but the thing is, you only have, like, two bigs that like to post up into today's NBA. Like, even when there's blatant mismatches, it just seems like nobody knows how to post up.
1: So if you can get away with that, by sure, all means. Sure. But I think that he's going to give up a lot on the on the defensive end in terms of penetration to the, to the cup. I mean, there's multiple ways of scoring in the paint, right? So I, I, I agree that I think that if we if he goes against JoJo, he's gonna get fucked up. But who but doesn't ever, get fucked up when go they go against, against yeah, JoJo, right? Like that's just you have to. But know. I think that De'Aaron Fox is going to eat. I Luca Doncic obviously is going to eat. But like average point guards are going to eat against Trendon Watford. Uh, the, the 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 post touches uh, you, you know the deal. This, this is not really a thing. But I think penetration from guards and wings is going to be the issue with Trendon Watford.
0: Well, I think that's where it falls on the coaching staff for, for, for a minute, right? Like we, we saw the Blazers play a lot of different schemes in, in this summer league where they didn't let Quentin Grimes go. Like they didn't let him isolate on onto Watt. Like they brought full on double teams, get the ball out of his hands. You're going to have to beat us, not De'Aaron Fox, but Justin Holiday. you're going to have to shoot the ball or not Luka Doncic, but Spencer Dinwiddie, you're going to have to shoot the ball. So I agree. He's not going to clamp on the defensive end, but I don't know how many bigs actually can. And two, you have to your coaching staff like has to help you out and put you in positions to succeed. So I think a lot it rides on how they're able to dial up certain defenses for certain rosters. You know, we, we know the coaching staff played a hand in the roster that was built, like for the first time, maybe since uh I don't even remember. The, the coaching staff in the front office seems to be on the same page. Like it sure shit wasn't when Neil and Terry were in town Absolutely. Neil will just go out and get whoever the fuck he wanted and say, Hey, make it work. And Terry's like, shit, I try. Um, and there was a huge clusterfuck with John Nash and Steve Patterson when Nate McMillan was here. So, you know, Paul Allen went through GMs like every third day with, with you know, Kevin Pritchard and Rich Cho. So it's been a while since there's been some form of continuity and what type of players that that both value and see? So
1: working. you mentioned something. What type of players do you think our our franchise values more so than other franchises? Because I think that there's a huge disconnect between what I value and what Chauncey Billups and uh, Cronin value. So what do you think it is right now? And we'll probably have to talk about this for, for however long those two. Uh, our partner, but I think that what I look for is shooting. And I don't think that they value that as highly as I do. So like what type of athlete do, are they looking for in terms of what they want to do as a building block? Because I, I, I would love it if we surrounded Dame with shooters so he can get to the paint easier. But I think that with what we're doing right now, that isn't really an option.
0: Well, I think you have, in their mind, I think you have enough shooting. Like, right, they're thinking, okay, we have not only Dame, one of the greatest shooters in the game, Anthony Simons, elite shooter, Josh Hart, great shooter. They're, they are banking on the Seer Little being a great shooter. And Jeremy Grant, like, you've got you've got your shooters there. That, that's, that's enough, I think, for the staff. What I think they value is Gary Payton II, exactly like him. Uh, a Jeremy Grant somebody who's versatile who played multiple positions handle the ball a bit uh defend defended at a high level like Gary Payton like championship dna hard-nosed tough athletic willing to just basically scrap like Justice Winslow Josh Hart these players that i, I think they really look for those qualities where you're just willing to outwork the opposition i don't know if that's sustainable for an 82 game season i don't think it's the sustainable playoffs. I don't think it's sustainable in a postseason matchup. I think talent nine times out of t- eh, maybe seven, eight times out of 10 oh, oh, will uh, win out in a seven game series.
1: So if a player plays at his absolute peak for every second, he is in the game. What happens when the more talented team does the same thing and brings their level up to where it is like that? That's why I, 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 I... I, mean, I think
0: you're describing Darius miles right there, right? Like a player who just kind of coasts and then, yeah, he can turn it up. But like, I mean, that's why the great players are great. Like the Lucas, the Giannis, the yoga, they always play at that level. And most times in individual matchups, you're going to get beat. But what Portland is banking on is something that probably the 77 Blazers had the 04 Pistons had like, they just were scrappier. They wanted it more. They played cohesive. They played five on five basketball. And that's the, that's definitely the, the the path that they're trying to go. Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll see just, if it works, but um I think we've talked about it, Sage. The, the, the previous future. GM put Portland in such a bad position that this is really like okay, we gotta see if this if they want to keep Dame, like this was probably the most realistic outlook for a roster going into next season that I think many people could have anticipated. Like Zach Levine, DeAndre Ayton, those players weren't coming Kevin Durant's not coming like you get Jeremy Grant for a first round pick you sign GP2 you get a good lottery pick you find a good steal in the draft and your superstar is healthy for the first time in five years like
1: okay I mean when you explain it like that it's I don't want to say it's palatable because I think that they're making a mistake with lack of shooting but I get the thought process. I just think the thought process is wrong. Well,
0: they're definitely multiple pieces away. Like we've said this, like for eons, they're they're three to four pieces away. They maybe got one and a half pieces this summer, right? I I think it's fair to say that Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton II are good pieces, but that they still lack that true number two alongside Dame. And I think like I think they do lack a little bit of big man depth. Maybe a nice shooter to spread the floor would be nice. But what they are banking on, they're banking on Nasir Little making that Anthony Simons jump, and they're banking on Anthony Simons making another jump. Like they, and that's really all they can do, right? They they were kind of backed into a corner, and then they they had to hope that these young players develop. They're banking on Shade and Sharp. I don't think next year, but they're banking on him contributing and growing into this player that they deemed worthy enough for the number seven overall pick. They're banking on Josh Hart continuing to improve. Like he's never going to be an all-star, but there's, he's not completely tapped out. They're they're banking on Yusuf Nurkic playing like he played prior to getting shut down the bubble Nurk, Like it's a lot of ifs. It's a lot of riding on hopes and dreams, but I think really outside of what four teams in the league, that's what everyone else is banking on because there's only four true contenders out there. And even one of them right now, Phoenix, they could have some internal drama that could kind of derail everything. So you just, if you're trying to win, which Portland is by keeping Damian Lillard they're they're having to hope that their young talent matures alongside with Dame as he kind of either hits his peak or starts to slowly uh, progress down the backside of his career. And they're, they're trying to find, I think that lightning in a bottle. Like I don't think they're going to go after that San Antonio, you know, long-term success, the warriors, you know, sustained success. They're trying to find that lightning in a bottle where the sun's two years ago, get Chris Paul, boom, all of a sudden magic happens. And and they have this short window, but it's beautiful for them. Portland's trying to find that maybe similar to what happened in 2019. You know, the game's definitely changed uh, three years ago, but they, the, the, a Blazer team built around Damon C.J. did go to the Western Conference Finals without Yusuf Nurkic. Like, that, that is a fact. So, stranger things have happened. The West is an absolute bloodbath. But what we know now is not what we know April, May, June. like Injuries happen. Chemistry still exists. And who knows? Uh, some players could perform up to expectations. Some players could regress. Like That's kind of the, the beauty of... An 82 game season, and why I don't want to shorten season is because the best teams have to be so good for so long. And more times than not, when you look at a championship uh, champion, you say, "Yeah, that's that's the best team." They, they proved it from October all the way through June, and you know that's what we're gonna see. Like I think the Blazers are gonna be good next year. How good? I don't know. I sent you over my list of projections, and the the, the top ten teams in the West are just stacked. It's so hard. You, you could tell me the Blazers finished third and I say, okay, I, I see a world and that happens. You tell me the Blazers finished 10th. I say, yes, I see a world where that happens too. Like it's, it's going to go down to the wire. If you follow baseball, it's like the AL East, you have four teams that could potentially make a seven-team playoff. They're all niptuck tuck by the three of the teams, Toronto, Boston, and Tampa are all within like a game of each other. Hell, the Baltimore Orioles, who nobody thought would do a damn thing, just reeled off 10 plus wins in a row. Like they're all fighting for these, these, these final spots. That is exactly what the Western Conference is going to be for a six-month marathon. So if Portland can I think the keys to success for Portland, internal development, sustained health, which they had prior uh to NERC going down in 2019. And I think you got to get a little bit of lucky. Like I think you need that internal drama in Phoenix. I think you need the Lakers to start chirping at each other on the bench. Like I think you need uh things like Jalen Brunson going out east with the Mavericks, not getting anything in return. Um, you, you just you need a little bit of luck. So you get those three things. And I, I think you could have, you know, a pretty fun season for the Blazers, but I think every team's helping for those three things. That's why it's a, a little bit of a crapshoot as well. Sure. But I think every team has every team that's side from those four teams has has some form of issues where, you know, you need you need it. I mean, that's why it's really hard to build a championship team because I mean you've got 12 players that realistically can can kind of suit up, but you know, eight, nine minute rotation, what can those guys? Those guys got to do a lot. They're the specialists are kind of gone. Like you have to be able to do a lot of things. Um, if you still had cap space or you could move a first round pick or whatever a minimal acquisition who who was a shooter that you would want to see added to the rotation I do Undo-
1: of- oh. <laughs> <laughs> not even playing i know which rest in peace to my asian boy you're not dead jesus christ well he fucked up it he has a uh four to six month recovery time for a heel injury. but I, I think it has to be an elite shooter like um Shit, let me look. But see, I
0: think an elite shooter has to be able to play defense though. Like I think Portland has been hampered on the defensive end for so long that I don't think they're willing to, unless your name is Damien, you no, know, unless your name's Damian Lillard or Anthony Simmons, I don't think they're they're letting players just get away without playing D. Hmm. Like Bobby Portis, is that two you're kind of thinking of? Didn't he resign? Yeah, I'm talking about. You could just pick. Like, this is 2K. You can add somebody. Like, who? Give me names. Not available names, but like, who would you have liked to have seen? Like, who fits your archetype?
1: You know what? Ben Mclemore actually fits the archetype pretty damn well. With, I just need shooting, man. We just need spacing to, to uh, put around Dane. So I would, but, I would have gone. Shit, Ben Mclemore still there. I mean. Okay, you Ben Mack, but who but who who's he playing for? Yeah, that's tough. <sighs> See, I'll agree with you
0: on shooting, but it's got to be from the bigs. Like, I think your guards are What set. about
1: Trey Lyles?
0: I mean, there's a reason he's been bounced around the league for. He's not bad, but I don't think he's good either. Now, if you say Jeff Green, I'll take Jeff
1: Green. Oh, I mean, I think I wrote an article about Jeff Green a few years ago. I'd still take Jeff Green, but like. I, I, I'm i tired of watching my favorite teams play with an unoptimal amount of spacing. So that's what I'm always going to uh, harp into with, with free agency and trades is, can I get another shooter? Can I get another guy that, I, I mean, look at the t- championship teams. There's multiple guys that can hit a jump shot and multiple guys that, can dribble the ball so give me give me some of those but i mean for me i i just gotta get somebody that can spread the floor with you know some shooting ability because like with with the hard miss championship team well his offense was a was a chore at times. so i don't want that to be with what the the legitimate team is with probably less defense but is there anything else that we're uh we're talking about or are we wrapping this up any players that you were disappointed
0: in or are wondering why they have contracts or if Portland could find a way to move off because there were a couple really just one for me that I'm just like why why Nevada? is this player Didi Luzada, like the only reason I noticed he was out there is because he was wearing bright lime green shoes. And he basically was the 09 Batum role, where he played the first five minutes of each quarter and just like chilled. But in, in those first five minutes, he was really late to closeouts, undisciplined on closeouts. Like he was almost like a ghost out there. Like I said, I only no- noticed him because you of saw the, that the
1: Tony Snell, no lucid rate type of thing.
0: But without the shooting ability of Tony Snell.
1: Yeah. So I think that he's one of those guys that in theory could be a good player, but we have yet to see it be realized in any form or fashion, Like he, look, he, he looks like a, an NBA wing. He if fits the Luis guy. Montero 2.0. He looks like he can do aesthetically. I feel like he's pleasing to the eye, but he doesn't like there's the productions literally zero. So like, I mean, I, I'm sure old school scouts look at him, look at what he can be and visualize Jay Crowder, but that shit ain't happening. And it doesn't look like he, I feel like he can dominate a, I think he'd be a good European player. Maybe go back to Australia and run with the Kings again. But it, I, I, I don't think that he is deservant of a starting role on a summer league team. I mean, I, I think Brandon Williams outside of the game today, and I, I know that I'm saying this with realization that he was a humongous key to the, the the victory. I would say every other game he was pretty pretty bad because the lack of touch is real. The lack of a legitimate dribble move is real. But today he had a few pull up jump, he hit a few pull up jumpers, and that was just like, well, we're winning. There's nowhere we're losing if Brandon Williams can hit a fucking pull-up three from two feet behind the arc. Bro, he we're was winning.
0: It. The, he was putting the Knicks into hostage dribbles, running this this two-man game, uh, taking two defenders with him, dishing it off to Trendon for slams. Like it, it just was his day. Like I, I, I would admit that I was lower on Brandon, and I was like, man, we're.
1: If really he did that new- today. What would you would you be talking about him with Didi? If he didn't have today's performance.
0: No, because he at least showed that he could at least score at an NBA level last year. Like he was. From, from where? He played. Like, I don't think if if you subbed their roles, I don't know if you're probably losing by 60 instead of 40. Like I mean, I think
1: that wasn't the plan. <laughs>
0: fair, fair enough. But I, I think like, and I'm not trying to disrespect Didi, but I, I want to talk about the good and, and the bad of what I saw. And it was just like when roster spots are, are tight like this and we need like a fucking Trey Lyles to maybe come in, like you can't, cause you got D, you know, taking up a spot and it's like, you might need to find a way to get, to get cute and move that contract off, whether you're sending cash to a team that has cap until you open up a roster spot. I mean, Portland's so close to that, that either the hard cap or the luxury tax, like these couple of million dollars can, can make a big difference. And it's just like, we're talking about it being hard for Keon Johnson to find a role. Like there's no role for, for DD on, on this team. Like, so I, I just, I don't see a path forward for him in, in Portland. So that's kind of why I wanted but to you, discuss. Do
1: you see a path for him to be an NBA quality player?
0: If it is, it's gotta be somewhere like Houston or Washington where he can just
1: play. But let's be real about DD Lozada though. New Orleans thought that he was special and treated him like he was special for years, right? They thought that he was special. They took him and put him in, sent him to Australia to play with a really, really great head coach in Will Weaver. They thought he was that special. And then after all of this development, after all of this stuff, we're still talking about that, about how he probably isn't NBA quality of a player. I mean... He looks like a player, but I've never once thought of him as, like, that's my backup. That is my fifth wing. You
0: know, he's 23 years old, so it's yeah, not like we're New talking New about Orleans. 18 or 19. We're not talking about shade and Sharp here, like 18. We're 23 years old.
1: Yeah, New Orleans sent him to, uh, to Australia for years.
0: So it's like I don't know where that, that potential lies um, for Didi. What are your thoughts on Greg Brown? Um, obviously, we love the dunking, but –
1: He's I think wild boy a lot of the time.
0: I think Trendon and Jabari have clearly surpassed him, um, in in my eyes, in terms of of players uh, that could produce.
1: At, I don't think we should even compare Jabari to Greg. Like those well, Jabari two are... in the comparison, like Jabari was drafted. He's the new big. I think that's a direct comparison. Like he's. he's the... I th- I think you're talking about like apples and oranges in terms of player, like. The only similarity is that they're six ten, right?
0: I, I, but either one of them is going to be a guard, so they—I don't know if they'd share the floor or not. But like, they're—I
1: I just think that Greg Brown's too limited. Like we've we've, we've complimented uh, Jabari pretty pretty aggressively. I think that Greg Brown is may, way more similar to Trenton Watford than he is to Jabari, based on you know I, I think Jabari and. No, I think that uh, Trendon and Greg are very similar in terms of their wild streak. I think both of them have issues with staying in a team concept, and I get it, where Trendon is so much better than the the bad, powerful word matched up with him that he can take advantage. I think Greg Brown has that wild streak. So in comparison to Trendon... I think Trendon wins offensively relatively easy. I think Greg Brown creates a lot of like impact plays defensively where Trendon has no chance because of the athleticism. But as of right this second, Trendon's providing me a lot more offensively and he's shown more leadership and more like tangibles than Greg. Greg just has this one skill set that is so fantastic that. It, it's, it's great, but if you take him out of that one thing, he's real limited in everything else. So I would rather take a, a, a an L defensively just to have more skill set around uh, with Trenton Watford. But because of the athleticism, I think Greg Brown's going to be on a roster for an NBA team for a long time. But I don't know if it's here. I mean, he'll, he'll get this chance. I you know,
0: training camp is coming up around the corner. The Blazers are clearly light on, on big. So I think this was like I, like we like we said, probably a couple steps forward for Trendon and Jabari in terms of being ahead of Greg in, in the big's rotation, but there is still training camp seeing how he performs with you know NBA level guards and forwards.
1: But yeah, I, I think as Greg Brown played like more than 20 minutes with Dame. Do you think there's a possibility that ha- has happened? I don't think so. Yeah. Because he was
0: just getting spot minutes, garbage the minutes. Game and was, game was healthy yeah, and Aim got hurt.
1: Yeah. I don't think that those two have played together. I don't think that Greg Brown has played with a legit NBA guard ever unless he was playing with someone in high school. Like, I don't think that he's played with an NBA level guard. So it's got, it's going to be tough. And it's going to be in an experiment with, with Greg if he can find a skill set and, be less of a wild man, that has a less chance. Yeah, that has a decent chance of hitting what Trendon does with such an incredibly high amount of shots taken in usage rate. That that's kind of interesting. Can can Trendon scale down uh and to the level where Greg Brown probably will be at? So that could be interesting. Like we're thinking about uh, Trendon as like a, a, a right now in summer league where he has the ball in his hands. That's not going to happen with Dame or Ant on the floor. So can he scale down and can he scale down and be that much better than Greg with his, that one key of athleticism? That's, that's, that that's a question. Like, I I feel like Jabari is better than both, but I think that Greg, if.
0: Well, Jabari is better than both because you can already envision him playing alongside of other players because he has, he knows his
1: role. Yeah. But Greg, like, let's just say we need a hustle player for five minutes. Couldn't you imagine Chauncey saying, Greg, go all out there for five minutes and make plays happen. There's a chance that he could be better in that particular role than, than trended.
0: I mean, I think, yeah, Greg's role right now is probably 2014 Thomas Robinson with the Blazers, you know, the, the block and the alley up to Will Barton, like Thomas Robinson came in just for short bursts, had one great play, like, oh shit, yeah, Tom, I remember Thomas Robinson, like, yeah, that, that's, that's the lottery pick. Right. Yeah, that's that's where he's at right now. So do you think
1: uh, Trendon can do the same thing? Who? Could Trendon do the Thomas Robinson role? I would hope he'd be, that's,
0: that's not a very big role, I hope you he'd know it is. it is, I hope he'd be able to exceed that role.
1: Thomas, I mean, Thomas was skilled in, in Kansas but that that pure athleticism of Greg Brown if you scale it his roll down so much where it's 5 minute spurt where we just need wild man make plays Greg could could do that better than Trendon, I think I don't know. I just convinced myself of this while talking to you. I don't know. I don't know if I feel this tomorrow, but right now at 1030 on a, on a Sunday, I could convince myself that Greg Brown in the smallest stint could do something. Okay. Sure. Yeah. But if, if COVID happens, I am frightened if any of our young boys are playing 28 plus minutes a game.
0: I think Jabari might be ready.
1: I mean, he is the best. He's the best dart throw by far, right?
0: He's just not going to fuck up. Like, I don't think anybody's expecting him to come out and just, you know, light the league on fire. But I just think he just – he knows his game. And he's like, okay.
1: Do you think there's a way that he jumps past uh, Greg and um, Trendon in the pecking order? I hope he's already ahead of Greg. Like –
0: He's, he's a better player. He's a better, much better basketball
1: player than Greg Brown. No argument here. But I feel like Chauncey values... From Colorado, too. I mean, and I'm sure that... Somehow... No, I
0: I I think what Jabari proved in Summer League, like, if he continues to work on his game, he's just a flat-out better basketball player. He hustles. He, he gets loose rebounds. Like, yeah, I I, I there is a world where... Jabari Walker is our fifth pick.
1: Jeremy, Yusuf, who's Justice. our third
0: You know Justice is playing four next year, bud. You know it. I don't kind of like it. Neither do you. I don't you like know. it at all. And Drew, probably Drew slash Trended. Like, I, I think Jabari, Jabari could maybe even get back up to Jeremy Minutes. Like, if he's able to... Yeah, I, I...
1: There is a world where Justice and Jabari share that four dependent on team construction. Yep. I don't think that happens with Greg. No. I think think Greg
0: is in that. Sixth big. Greg's in that you're going to play if we're up 30 or down 30.
1: The Chris Johnson role of a few years ago?
0: Yeah. I mean, if he has an impact like Chris Johnson had in game three where he's blocking Dirk. I mean, get. I mean, I saw, I saw fans of Chris Johnson jerseys after that game. Like he was a true Rip City legend after that performance. But yeah, like Thomas Robinson, but, but everyone but still talking about Greg's that Athleticism yeah. could be Chris Johnson. But, but I need more. Christian's I need more. A, than, a, he, he got a second contract. I need more than just athleticism. I need to see Greg Brown hit hit an open three.
1: Like, I, I need. Are I you also more need, confident in Trendon Watford hitting a wide open three than uh, Gre- Greg Brown? Yeah. I mean, it's so little for both that it doesn't really matter for me. I've seen it more from Trendon than I have from Greg. But if if Greg Greg Brown hit in the last year during games, it's it's such a surprise on both of them hitting threes that it's kind of memorable. Like Greg Brown took that shot and made it. What the?
0: Oddly enough, I think there was more on the line for the summer league championship than there was a late April game against the OKC Thunder when both teams were desperately trying to lose. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll, I will, I will defend that. That, that is, that is my take for the night. I think Greg is going to stay in the league. Like you said, the athleticism won't go away. Teams will always take a flyer on on somebody like that. I don't know if if Portland is the right situation for him. I think he needs to play in a situation that plays to his
1: athleticism. They, they it's run like the Spurs or something where they're they, the fastest-paced team in the league, or uh, the Hornets with the melo ball. They throw lobs. They they yes. get him out. Like who's gonna who throws a
0: fucking lob on this team? not <laughs> No. Nope. Nobody knows how to throw a goddamn lob. So it was kind it of like odd. the Hornets
1: or the the Spurs, just fast, fast, fast.
0: Yeah, it was an odd draft pick from, from the jump. Like, I actually like Greg. I love his hustle. I, I just, I don't know if it's a really good
1: fit. But is this the league for him to dominate or even participate in? The Summer League? No, well, well the, is the NBA the right platform for him to show his skill set? Like, if we're really talking about Greg succeeding on the basketball court, is this the league that does that? I don't think we have the answer to that yet. Because, like, I could see him being a dominant force in Europe or Australia. China. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a professional basketball player in Australia. So,
0: Before we wrap up, what are your thoughts on all of these teams? I'm talking the Atlanta Hawks, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and possibly the New York Knicks sacrificing and mortgaging their future some teams more than other to go out and get a piece, whether that's DeJounte Murray, you know, three picks, Rudy Gobert, which five or six, and then Donovan Mitchell rumored to be six or seven. This is, this is crazy, right? Like I don't have as much of a problem with the Hawks and what they did. I feel like the Hawks is fine. Three is stomachable, but what Minnesota did and what New York is about to do, like, did, did did teams not learn from what, what Brooklyn did, right? Like, what, what's going on here, Sage? Like, Donovan Mitchell's a fine basketball player, but he's nobody I would break the bank
1: for. Especially when you have a really short point guard next to him. It, and I, I don't know how you feel about RJ, but I think RJ has a chance. So you're really stunting RJ Barrett's growth. You're going to have for a, RJ...
0: Donovan, Jalen Brunson, who's uh, Julius Randle. There's only one basketball stage
1: that, that there is who's going to a step back. Who's going to take a step back? I worry that it's our day.
0: Nobody's going to take a step back and that there's going to be Tibbs is going to pull out whatever hair he's got left.
1: Who's who's the draft pick? They didn't have one. They didn't have one. Oh my God. Cause I remember I they, they, they did yourself. that to
0: clear the cap and they uh, uh, got all those picks.
1: Like, I thought it was somebody
0: decent. Like they drafted Usman, traded like three first-round picks. They got three first-round picks for him.
1: Had Durin for a second and then traded him. Yeah. That's fucked up. I I still think RJ could be special. So, it sucks that they're sacrificing him for Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, who I I think they're going to have issues. Is there a chance that they make it past the second round in the East? No, the East. So you're is mortgaging really good. everything. The East
0: is really tops. good. The East is super top heavy.
1: Yeah, you're mortgaging everything for tops uh, losing in the second round.
0: Are they better than Boston? No. no. Are they better than Milwaukee? No. Are they better than Philadelphia? No. They're on
1: par. Atlanta better than them.
0: I think right now Atlanta is better. I mean, then you've got teams like t- I, Toronto. I think is better.
1: Boss, I mean Chicago's. They're on
0: par with probably the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, that that's really where they're at. They may win a series.
1: A healthy Cleveland team.
0: Ooh, yeah, I like the Cavs. They got to get that Colin Sexton uh, situation sorted out. But um, I'm I'm terrified as a, a Northwest Division foe of the Jazz. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like that they're getting all of these picks and potentially building a powerhouse down the road. I liked where they were with Donovan and Rudy, and we knew what you are going to get. They're going to make the playoffs, but do nothing else after that. Um, I wish teams would not give in to what Tanny Ainge is wanting, because I think the Knicks are, are bidding against themselves, to be perfectly
1: honest with you, Sage. So, I guess we're false starting for another time. Was there any rookies that were surprising to you in the uh, in, in summer league?
0: You know, I didn't watch so once Shaden got hurt, it was hard enough just to watch the Blazers cuz like I don't want to watch all these other rookies like have success, but like you know, you see highlights and I did watch a couple of full games uh beforehand, but what stood out to me and it kind of reaffirmed uh what we talked about, this is a really good draft class. Like a lot of the rookies looked good. And obviously you had some injuries, Dyson Daniels and Shaden Sharp both both went down, but, I mean, Jabari struggled. Jabari Smith Jr. struggled early, but then kind of found his his rhythm, played great defense. Uh, Bancaro looked solid. Uh, Chet Holmgren was basically, you know, a Swiss Army knife. I don't know if he's ever going to be a number one or number two option offensively, but if he's able to bring that type of defense, like his, his instinct and his length defensively is just nasty. Um, shit. Jaden Ivy looked fantastic for Detroit. You saw early glimpses against uh, Portland, what Jalen Duran could do, have an impact with those beautiful lobs. Then just, you know, being a menace defensively, uh, Keegan Murray, you know, like a lot. Keegan Murray did good. Um, I was a little bit higher on Murray than you were. Um, this is probably peak Murray. Um, I thought there was a world in which he was able to come out and play like this and, you know, if he's able to do this, you know, this is summer league, like he's still a little bit older. So this is what he was supposed to do, but I think it's, you don't want him struggling at this level. So the fact that he was able to play at this level, if he's able to bring that to the NBA level, like against, you know, the, the stars of the league, like I think the Kings got themselves a really solid pick. I still think he, his career is Harrison Barnes, maybe Harrison Barnes plus, but you know, good for the Kings. Like they, they've had just a disastrous franchise and really bad luck. So I'm happy that a pick who, you know, I don't mind Keegan Murray. Um, I, I didn't see the hype, but if he plays like this, it is well warranted. But I mean, Benedict Matherin looked really good too. Like you're looking at these, these picks is like, yeah, th- this was a fucking good draft. Like just because it may not have, you know, a, a Victor when uh, or a LaMelo Ball or Cade Cunningham in it, like still a fucking good draft class. And, and that's what I like to say. I
1: think the, the top talent isn't there, but like if you're looking for a good player, this was a good draft for that. But there was no like, there was no LaMelo Balls. There was no Cade Cunningham's or uh, Jalen Green. Like if we were, we compared and contrast the last three drafts, I think that in the next five years, I think that we talk about, The superstars of the last few, the last two, but then we go on a long run of this draft class in terms of like quality, but not like the top end. Um, The one game, (laughs) I, I feel like Houston. You got to see the the peak of Tari Eason and then the absolute fall of Tari Eason. I was like, oh, he, he he played beautiful perimeter defense. And then, ew,
0: <laughs> he missed Jab- a lot. I, I texted you when Portland was playing Houston. I was like, Jabari Walker is showing no respect to Tari Eason offensively. Like, he was just 10-plus feet away from him, like, daring him was, to shoot the basketball. Was
1: the Blazers game – because I watched a lot of Houston because – they were on. Was the Blazer game the one where Tari missed like four layups? Um, I can look at the box score. Because it might have been against OKC, but Tari Easton like beat the dude off the dribble easily and then missed like five bunnies. So if you don't if you don't remember that, it, it was not the Blazer game. It was another game that I've watched. What do you think about Jabari uh, Smith and his lack of Playmaking.
0: I think it's an area that he's going to have to get better at. I also fully knew that he wasn't going to thrive in summer. league. he needs a guard that is going to set him up. He's a traditional big in that sense. Like you have a two man game that they're going to, you're going to pick and pop. You're going to, you know, run offense, you know, run him off of some screens. Like you're going to have some, players who are going to allow the defense to think twice before they're leaving them. Like in summer league, Tari, nobody was guarding Tari Eason. Nobody's guarding Ty Ty Washington. Nobody's guarding. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're not guarding these players. Like, so the, the entirety of the defense is focused on Jabari Smith. So at this point in his career, no, he, he's not going to have it in terms of being a, a go-to like I'm the guy. I don't care who secondary. Is. Yeah. And, and also he's 19 years old. Like all of these players are super young, so like he may struggle coming out. Like that, that's totally fine. But I think once he starts to get with some real guys, that he's going to get so many be- oh, more open looks. Um, I think he'll be fine. I think he was honestly feeling the pressure too. Like I think he had a lot of pressure because like I was supposed to go number one. I didn't. Chet comes out, puts up a big number in Salt Lake City. Uh, he has the showdown with Bancaro. Caro. got the better end of him in that opener in summer league. And it just seemed like he was forcing it a bit, to be honest with you. Like, he does need to work on his handle, but he's so slithery. He's athletic. He's quick. He's nimble. He's what you want in a modern big. Like, the tools are there. Uh, I've seen it on tape that he's he can do it. He needs to improve, but it's all going to be in, in
1: his like- – Yeah, I think that it has to – like, he cannot play the three in this w- – with his skill set now. So he's a solid four. I think that if he stays a four, the lack of playmaking and pat—god damn, he is an awful passer. But that is lessened. But if Stephen Silas thinks for a second that he can play the three, then those issues become player. So if he can just stay the four and move up five, it's less of an issue. But if he goes down, he's the worst playmaking wing in the league. So that game, uh,
0: Tari Eason was seven of nineteen against the Blazers. So it could have been that game.
1: Yeah, my my man, my man. Fucking, he had like six steals, which made me happy, and then he missed like six laps. <laughs> but that that's the Tari Eason experience for you, bro. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this shit up officially. Um, I got to go
0: to the bathroom.
1: I yeah uh, yeah. All right, everybody, we are back. Well. This is our uh, summer league extravaganza.
0: We will be back in a maybe a month or so. We're, we'll do our, our Western Conference. Maybe we'll do two Western Conference breakdowns because it I'm, I'm not. Even,
1: I'm in full transparency. I'm quite burnt out on basketball. So we're going to take a month, guaranteed. Unless something mind-blowing happens, we're taking a month so I can figure out work versus pod life which is something I haven't dealt with in a long time. So we'll be back, but there's going to be a break in between this time and the next time. Cause let's be real. We doubled up our efforts this year. We doubled it. I, I need the, I need the break. So thank you for listening. We will be back, but I need a break. I'm going, I'm going to the East Coast for two weeks. I, I need a break. I can't talk about basketball anymore. So thank you so much for listening. We will be back. I just need a break from me. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody.
0: Let's go.